the Lord woke me up this morning and um, shared some things with me. I was sharing with Stuart Graham this morning outside briefly. I kind of got going. I had to stop myself or I we would have been outside for an hour because I just felt God was already ripping and roaring in my spirit about <clears throat> what I believe he's saying to the body and what he's saying to our community this morning. And so I want to share some of those things with you guys. I want to say something to you that we've been in the habit of saying, but again, I'm going to say it again. I've been in this place with God, and I feel like we have been in this place as a community and a family where it's not that God is saying a bunch of new things. It's that God is continually saying the same things over. How many of you feel that? That God is saying, and it may seem new to you, right? But God's word is not a new thing. God's word is as old as he is, which means it's timeless and eternal. The reason why the word of God is so powerful is because it doesn't, it didn't come inside of time. It came from outside in. And so it has the weight of eternity in it. And so when we hide it in our hearts, it has the ability to produce fruit in us. Have you ever really thought about that? The difference between, you know, some book that you just pick up and read versus the word of God and why this book has power and all the other books in the world don't. Well, because this is the only book in the world that came from God who is eternal. Where we know that every jot and tittle and word and line was breathed by the mouth of God himself. This is his word to us and we can trust it. How many of you trust the word of God? Really? How many of you trust what he says? Right. And without further ado, that's the John 15, 13 thing. If you love me, you will obey me. So the answer is whether or not I trust God is clearly seen not by what I say, but what I do. Right. And I feel like what the Lord is coming to do this morning is that he wants to take us as a people into a place of understanding that God actually means what he says that he doesn't talk out of turn and that if he says it, he expects something from it. Does that make sense? Like how many of you believe that God doesn't waste his words? He doesn't like if the Lord says it, he means it. And this is why I think for me, fam, I will say, I know for Jen and I personally, I know in my own life as I grow in the Lord and I walk with God, <coughs> I continue to ascribe and give more value to the word of the Lord. And I don't just mean the Bible, but when the God speaks in a moment from the knowledge of his word specifically or prophetically into my life, when God speaks, I hold his word in high esteem. When someone says to me, the Lord says, I'm like, man, I hold that up here. It's not this. I feel like we live in a generation where people are so flippantly saying all the time, God says this and God says that, that we almost don't even know what God is saying. And if you pay attention, a lot of what people say that God is saying is really it's they, what they're saying. It comes out of the mouth of the God that they've made in their own image 
who's conformed to their likeness rather than them being conformed to his. And that's the reason why we opt to change the word of the Lord in, the, in every season of the soul to fit our circumstance or our situation rather than his character and his nature, which is steady and unchanging. Do you know that when God speaks to a man or when God speaks to you, that he actually gives, in one sense, all consideration to your life because he knows you better than you know yourself, but he also gives no consideration to your life in the fact that he doesn't speak to you from your place, he speaks to you from his. Are you catching what I'm saying to you this morning? I'm not saying God doesn't care about your circumstance. I'm just saying God is a lot bigger than it. And when God speaks, He speaks to you from a place of His character and His nature, His own ability, His own grace to get done what He's asking you to do. God cannot perform His word unless we participate and partner with it. But I came to tell you today that the way in which that happens is we get out of the way and God gets His way. This isn't about you striving in your flesh to achieve the word of the Lord. It's about you being crucified with Christ. It's about me being crucified with Christ and getting out of the way so that God can do what God wants to do. I feel like even this morning that the Lord would say to us as a community, stop walking towards my word and learn how to run to it. Come on. I'm telling you this morning like this. God is asking us as a community to pick up the pace. To run headlong like a sprinter. You guys ever watch a race? And when they're running, man, when they get to the finish line, that's not when they slow down. It's when they speed up. They throw that head forward. That's what it means to run headlong like a sprinter who literally at the last second in order to get everything out of the race they've just run, they stretch their head forward, they throw their arms back, and they thrust. They turn on the jets. And a lot of people have said, well, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's true. But can I tell you that in a race, there are some who simply run faster than others? And that's a choice. That's a practice. That's a discipline. That's a desire, right? I mean, to the guy that's winning the marathons all the time, I would say the guy knows how to run because he gives himself to running. And if you're like, hey, I don't know how to run, find someone who does and let them teach you. Watch what they do and do it. Listen to what they say and say it. That's part of the Christian life. And I feel like the Lord is literally saying, hey, I want you to come up here. But you have to be willing to trust me to make the climb. I feel like even for some of us in this room that the Lord is saying all of the resources that you need are in God. Everything that you have to have in order to do what he wants done. He's saying, I've already provided it for you. Not in money, but in my son. I've given you grace to do what it is I've called you to do. What kind of God would we serve if God was a God who asked us to do things but didn't actually give us the grace to do what he asked us to do? 
How many of you believe that salvation is a work of the Spirit? I know everybody's distracted. How many of you believe that salvation is a work of the Spirit? You know that sanctification is a work of the Spirit also? It takes grace. We don't conform ourselves to His image. He conforms us to His image by us relinquishing our will and letting it go. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Matthew chapter 12. This is actually going to be the precursor to the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible, if you're there in Matthew 12, say amen. amen. We're going to get into verse 38. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it go down deep and produce fruit, Father. So this is... Verse 38, the desire for signs. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. How many of you have ever asked God for a sign? Come on. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room, I need to see you raise your hand. You need to see yourself raise your hand. All right, I'm not asking you for me. I'm saying it for you. Like The key to growth in God is being honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, you'll never be honest with others. Which means you'll never grow. Come on. Pterodactyl, she's going for it this morning. She's, she's getting it. So, Jesus is about to, to come after them for asking for a sign. He says, but he answered and said, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. How many of you think that's a little bit harsh? Right? An evil and adulterous generation. What is he saying when he's saying, you are asking me for a sign and you're evil and adulterous? He calls them adulterers, fornicators. You know what he's actually saying? He's saying, you don't trust me in intimacy and the word that I've already spoken to you. And so now you're asking me to confirm my own word because you actually have so much unbelief in your heart that you need me to say it again in a different way. I will tell you, fam, 100% of the time that prophecy, dreams, visions, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, they are for today. They are powerful ways in which God communicates with His people, to His people, and through His people. But there, can I tell you, that all of that according to the word of God in Corinthians 13, there's going to come a day when it's all going to go away. The Bible says that, that all the gifts will cease, but love will remain. Intimacy with God will abound and abide forever. The most confused people in the church that I know to this day are the ones that lack intimacy with God and they struggle to hear the voice of the Lord for themselves. And so they're constantly dependent upon an experience. Come on. How many of you would say that at one time or another, your 
understanding of God was being dictated to you by your own experiences and feelings. And how many of you would be bold enough to say that your experience and your feelings led you astray? Right? Because I can be easily manipulated in my emotions. And if my understanding of who God is isn't actually being derived from the word, then I'm going to think things about God that are wrong. Tozer used to say that the most important thing about any man or woman is what comes into their mind when they think about God. The first thing that you think about when God comes up is actually the most important thing to you about him. He's a father. He's a creator. He's a provider. He's not a father. I don't trust him. I, what, whatever it might be or may not be, like fam, the knowledge of God is on display in this room in various ways. And what we actually say about Him and what we actually think about Him is either confirmed by the way we live or it's denied by the way that we live. He was confronting the Pharisees for their both internal and external hypocrisy. He's saying, you say I am this way, but you actually don't live what you're preaching. And this isn't just a message to preachers. It's not a message to teachers. It's to the whole body. He calls them an evil and adulterous generation because they crave a sign. Have you ever been around somebody who's just like, I need God. To, I, I need it. I need another word. I need another dream. I need another vision. I need somebody to... I need, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, dude, get quiet. Dude, I've prophesied to people and they've gone and pulled out their phone and they're going to go to record the word because they... They want it recorded, and I can see on their phone that they've just got one prophecy and after another, and I can't tell you how many times that's literally been where it ends right there. I won't prophesy to them. I won't pray for them. You know what I tell them? Do you own a Bible? If so, go home and lay on your face and read it and weep. Your heart is hard. You don't trust God, and you're looking for a way around what he said to you a long time ago. And I'm telling you in my own heart that there are a lot of us in this room whom the Lord has said certain things to. And God intends to make good on what he said. But you're going to have to go back and do what he said, how he said it. Right? It's even the proclivity of the human heart to take what God says and then try to figure out how to get it done in our own strength, our own wisdom. How about the timing thing? Yeah, I heard you, Lord, but I'll get to it when I get to it. How many of you, when God speaks, you feel an immediacy or an urgency when he speaks? Or do you shelf it and go, okay, I heard that. I'll, I'll figure it out later. Right? And it, and it speaks to us about the revelation that we carry about God. I was talking to Glenn this morning. We were having a conversation about who God is. And I said, man, if we actually understood who it was that was talking to us, we would respond differently when he spoke. Have you ever, I mean, I just imagine whoever the most important person is to you in your life, right? Maybe you have one, maybe you don't. Like if I was around the, you know, president or whoever, you know, somebody that, that carried a lot of uh, clout, right? They, they, they were 
they carried a lot of authority. They were well-known. They, they, they were wise. They were, you know, when certain people speak in your life, you listen to some people more than others, yeah? Well, you take that person who you feel like they might have a little bit of wisdom and you amplify to the millionth power times infinity that that's how important God's voice is and then ask ourselves, Father, why don't we run to obey your word? Could it be because we don't know him as well as we think we do? Could it be that we've put God in a box? Could it be that we've taken God out of one box and put him in another? Because I feel like that's what we do in the church, right? We get a revelation of God that exceeds by a little bit or maybe a lot the one that we currently had. And we're good with that. But then we box God into that revelation the same way we did the last one. And we actually keep ourselves from growing. How do you keep going from glory to glory, from faith to faith and strength to strength? Man, take God out of the box and leave him out of there and never go back. You walk with your hands open loosely before the Lord and say, Lord, every day, whatever it is I think I know, I don't know it as well as I could or I should. And that's not some religious obligation. It's the humility in our hearts that says, Lord, thank you for what you've taught me, but I need to know you more. How many of you would say, God, I need a better revelation of who you are today. I need to grow, not just in my mind, but in my heart and in the way that I live. There are places in me that I know that are not satisfactory. And if I don't have a better revelation of who you are, there's no way I'm going to grow in grace. Say, fam, it's not about trying harder. You guys have probably heard this story and I'll just give you the punchline. About seven, eight years ago, man, I was in a place where I was striving and struggling with God to do all these things. And I got up one morning and the Lord said to me, stop trying and start dying. What does that mean? The thing that we've been talking about, the gospel of the kingdom, man, over and over and over again, right? If any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and come after me. God's not asking me to figure it out. He's asking me to trust him because he has it figured out. Amen. How are you doing this morning? Are you hearing? Luke 8, 18. Be careful then how you hear. It's not about what we're hearing, fam. I'm telling you. It's about how we hear what God is saying. This is what I want to communicate. If you don't remember anything else I say this morning, I feel like the Lord would have us remember. It's not that I'm saying something new. It's that I'm saying it again so that you'll listen to me this time. God's not changing what he said. He's just saying, hey, you need to hear it this way. And something I feel like the Lord continues to highlight to me as I grow in God is like, hey, my invitations become commandments to those who have set their heart to serve me. But to those who want to serve their own agenda, my invitations remain just that, an option. And I'm just going to tell you, as for me and my house, there ain't no options. I gotta, I've got to have him. Come on, Glenn, I've got to hear him. I've got to know him. I can't make it without him. There's too much to play for in this season. He says, and even an adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Dude, what is he saying? He's saying before there was this great evidence of miracle signs and wonders and the Son of God walking the earth preaching the gospel, making known through wisdom and revelation what is the knowledge and the will of God. He said, Nineveh heard the simplicity of the message of repentance and it was enough for them to turn away from their wickedness and be saved. But you and the church who have heard the word over and over and over again, you have become a stiff-necked people who continue to ask me to confirm for you what I've already said over and over and over again. He said, no such sign shall be given to you other than the sign of Jonah. He's saying that the gospel of the kingdom is more than enough for you. Why are you asking me for another message? Repent and believe. Okay, what next? No, no, no. Repent and believe. Okay, we got it, God. So what's the next? Repent and believe. Fam, that was Jonah's message. Turn away, not just from the way of the world, but what is the way of the world? It is the way of self-indulgence. I've been literally struck in my heart. Even this week, I feel like God has just been tattooing Proverbs. Let's go there for a second, actually. Let's go together. Proverbs. Thank you, Eric. Proverbs 14. We're going to start in verse 12. I'll give you a second to get there. But I just feel the jealousy of Jesus for the church this morning. And do you feel his love for you? Do you feel his love for you? Come on. God's not mad at you this morning, man. If he was, he wouldn't talk to you. Do you know that the, that, that the highest sign of actual anger or hatred is not when we talk to one another. It's when we ignore each other. Come on. You're no longer an even a thing to me. I'm just going to blot you out. Uh, no, when, we're, when God's still talking... That means we still have the option to listen. Holy Ghost. Proverbs 14, say amen if you're there. Amen. Verse 12. Some of you have heard this verse because I say it a lot. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. <laughs> We've been talking about it at men's group yesterday. It seems right. It appears to be right. Can we even say it feels right. And so I'm walking in my own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. And then I wonder why I got where I got because instead of yielding to the Lord, I yielded to myself and what I thought was a good idea and I got myself in trouble. Here's one for this generation that most people really hate. Proverbs 18.1. You don't have to go there, just listen. 
He who separates himself seeks his own desires and he rages against all sound counsel. <laughs> well, I love God, but I'm not doing the church. Then you don't actually love God. You're living in disobedience. I understand church hurt. I understand that people suck sometimes. We all do sometimes. Nobody in here is perfect. Not me, not you, not nobody. We all have our own issues. But it's not an excuse to amputate and isolate and separate ourselves from the body of the Lord Jesus of whom he is the head. Guess what? If you're not part of the body, then Jesus can't be your head. <laughs> Woo! No, there's, it's not an option, man. Like, God's not calling you to a place. He's called you to a people. The people are the place. Without the people, there is no place. Come on, God didn't just create mountains and oceans and whatever so that they wouldn't be inhabited by people. He created the earth as a habitation for His glory. So when Habakkuk 3 says that the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the water covers the seas, the fulfillment of the prophecy is that the earth will give way and manifest the sons and daughters of God who are the highest expression of God's likeness and image and glory and the glory of the Lord covering the earth is the church manifesting Christ-likeness. It's not a kabod in a cloud. It's the people of God manifesting His life. So look what he says. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain. And the end of the joy, and the end of joy may be grief. Have you ever been, have you ever laughed because you're hurting? You ever like, man, I don't know whether to, I don't, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, right? You ever said that or heard that? Right? What's funny one second ain't funny the next. Can I tell you that that's actually how our own leadership works? We think it's fun in the moment until we get to the end result and then we realize we shouldn't have done that. That wasn't God talking, that was me talking. Do you know that, that the discerning of spirits and the spiritual gift of discernment, as it is referred to, that is not the differing between what is good and what is evil. That is the differing between what is good and what is God. It's the hairline difference between what the Word of the Lord actually is and what our will says it should be. This is important, fam. Because there are some of us who are sitting in this room. And the word of the Lord has been sitting in our life and on our life. And we're still not fully yielded to it. Because we think that we have the right to dictate to God how it should go down. Dude, and I'm telling you, I feel the friction in some of your souls. I feel it in my own soul, man. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come after me. And fam, you have to decide in your heart, what is the word of the Lord to you in this season? The most confused people are the ones that have no idea what God's actually saying. You know why you don't know? Because you don't ask. Like, Lord, forgive me for assuming and presuming 
that I know what you're saying and help me to get back into a place of humility so that I can, I can consider in my sobriety what you're actually saying to me. Fam, I'm telling you, this is the easiest mistake that anybody in this room can make. I've made it a million times. I'm talking to you. Do you know the Bible? Jesus said that wisdom is justified by what? Suffering. The fruit of wisdom is suffering. Experience. I've been there. I've done that. You talk to old people, even the ones that aren't that wise, they got a little bit of wisdom because they live life. They went through something. They can at least, at a minimum, share the results of what they went through so that you can learn something, right? And God is literally saying, hey, I'm trying to keep you from going this way. If you want to go that way, we can go that way. But it's going to be a lot more painful than it has to be. Some of us, if you're like me and a little hard-headed, Hanny, we got to learn some hard lessons. But not no more, right? We've said it before. It's like, hey, you know, that ride around the mountain was fun, but I don't think I want to see that part of the park anymore. <laughs> Come on, Allie. I'm good. I know what that looks like. I don't need to see it again. Look what he says. Verse 14. The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways. Dude, what does it mean to be backslidden? And this isn't like a religious traditional term. It actually comes out of the Bible. What does it mean to be backslidden? It means to trust in yourself more than you trust in God. <laughs> Lord, I repent. I've been trusting in myself in this area. Because some of us might say, you know, I don't feel backslidden. I'm not saying you're not born again. We're not saying that you're backslidden in every area of your life. But the Lord might be saying, hey, you're backslidden in this place right here because you're not yielded to my leadership. You still have your own idea of what you think this should look like. And here's the deal, fam. We've been taught in the charismatic church in the last 20 years that we have far more right to our own emotions and feelings than what the Bible actually says that we do. Uh-oh. If you're actually crucified with Christ and he's the leader of your life, the supreme leader, the master. When was the last time you said, Jesus, you are my master and I am your slave? Oh, but I'm a son or daughter, brother. I'm not a slave. Right. Born in the tension, the word actually says that we are sons and daughters and we are slaves to a real master. <laughs> Automatically, man. Paul said, I'm a bond servant. I'm tied. I am commanded, demanded. I'm obligated by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I've given myself to, to do what he says. Not because I have to per se, but I want to, therefore I have to, right? Paul said, it is the power of Christ which compels me. He commands me. He, you know, the word compel actually says, it's the Greek word for control. The power of Christ controls me. He makes me to do it. And I do it with joy in my heart. Even if I don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to go down or how it's going to work out, I trust the one who does. And so I let my life go. Come on, man. How many of you want to walk in power? 
How many of you want to walk in presence? How many of you want to bear the fruit of a life of a disciple, but you're saying, hey, I'm just stuck in this area, and I don't know how, and I don't want to be stuck. Lay your life down. And not once, Brenda, or twice, but every day and every time during the day that it takes. Come on. I'm a strong-willed dude. God made me that way. I know that about myself. I would say out of everybody in this room, I, can, I feel like with a clear conscience, I have to surrender my will more than anybody else in here because I'm a knucklehead. My proclivity to trust myself is high, which is why I've got a high value for the cross of Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that can tame my tongue and tame my mind and tame my heart and keep me in check to the will of God. How you doing? It's getting a little quiet in here. Am I preaching the truth to you this morning? If I'm not, say so now. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Let's do 14 again. 14, 14. The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways. Lord, I don't want to be filled with my own ways anymore. But a good man will be satisfied with his ways. The naive believe everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. How many of you here were here a few months ago at the conference when I preached a message called Consider Your Ways? Out of Haggai 1. Consider your ways. Do you hear the Lord saying it to us this morning? Consider your way. Consider what you think. Consider what you say. Consider what you're doing. And if your first inclination is to buck back against it, you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself. When the word of God comes, whether it's the scripture or it's you believe God is saying something, when you feel that resistance in your heart to what the Lord is saying, you have two choices. Harden your heart and run from the presence of the Lord or humble yourself and lean into him and let him do what he wants to do. When you feel yourself bucking back against what God is actually saying and you start trying to come to the table of negotiation, which by the way, fam, the counsel of the Lord is not a negotiation. God doesn't negotiate with us. When you go into a room and you turn on a light switch, does the darkness hesitate to leave or just, does it just leave? No, it just leaves. God is light. And he comes to illuminate the darkness of our hearts and minds. When God speaks and the light comes on, the darkness has to leave. And some of us, God is trying to turn the light on and we're slapping his hand away from the light switch. No, no, I like my darkness. Leave me alone. And I'm not talking about sin. It's the will. God has to conquer and kill the will of every man. I know a million people who are gifted and so few that are sifted. I know a million people who are gifted, but so very few who are sifted. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith would not fail. He's saying, hey man, the devil's coming to try you. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tried. 
your will is actually going to be strained and sifted. And how you choose to respond to the sifting of your gifting will determine the outcome of your life. Every single person in this room has a gift and is called to some degree. The, the, the number of talent, the level of all of that isn't determined by man. It's determined by God. But every bit of it, whether you say I've got one talent, a half a talent, or 28 talents, it doesn't matter. All of that actually has to go back through the siftedness of the Lord and the filter of God so that it when, it, when it comes time to actually use it, 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 gets, and it ends up being used for His glory and not ours. How are you doing this morning? This guy heard the word of the Lord is turning around. Just kidding. All right, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to go there. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Everybody doing okay? Fam, again, I feel like it's necessary to define in many ways what is idolatry in the life of the believer. It's not the exaltation of evil things. It's the misplaced or the inappropriate prioritization of good things. Idolatry is the inappropriate prioritization of the good things that God gives us. The gifts. People, places, things, jobs, kids, spouses, money, doesn't matter what it is. If I have more zeal for that than I do for him, it's idolatry and it's got to go. Anything that God asks me for, if my inclination is to try to keep it rather than to let it go, it's idolatry and I need to repent. How does that definition fit you this morning? How does that, how does that fall in your heart? How does it fall in mine? Does it make you consider your ways? I want you to close your eyes just for a second. Everybody in the room. What is the thing or a few things? Ask him, Holy Spirit, where are there things in my life that I'm not willing to let go of? What is the thing that if you asked me for? Who is the thing that if you asked me for? What is the thing that if you asked me for, I would resist you and not be willing to actually let it go? Where am I resisting, Holy Spirit, your leadership? Where are idols hiding in my heart? Where has pride made me hard-hearted towards the leadership of Jesus? God, we're asking, Lord, that you would highlight and illuminate our darkness and help us let go of the places in us where we're still willful, even if we don't even know it. We've been talking about this the last few weeks, but I will tell you that idolatry actually hides in a place called ignorance. And some of us are willfully ignorant, which means that we don't want to acknowledge that we know, therefore we excuse ourselves from dealing with it. And God is saying, I want that from you, and I want it now. Jonah chapter 1. 
Say amen if you're there. How's everybody doing? Are you awake? You all right? <laughs> Come on, Shelby. Shelby's got the My Beloved is Beautiful shirt on this morning. Come on. Jonah 1.1. I'll probably do this in two parts, so all of you who are dreading me going through all four chapters, don't worry. They're short chapters, but I'm still not going to do it. Jonah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. I don't know what kind of wickedness you have to be in to get God's attention enough to send a, a, a prophet to you and call for national repentance. But I will tell you, America's been there for quite some time. God is sending messengers to all the nations of the earth right now, calling for repentance because harvest is on the way. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee. Can you say flee? From Tarshish. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Do you know what the word Tarshish means? It means refinery. So this is interesting because the Lord speaks to Jonah and gives him a command. Now let's just keep in mind. Jonah is not a new believer. He is a bona fide prophet of God who hears the voice of the Lord, who has a relationship with Yahweh. And he was being appointed. Read what again? What did I say? Flee from? Oh, yeah. Flee to. Sorry. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Sorry. Thank you for catching me. So the Lord gives Jonah a command and he's like, no. And I was saying, keep in mind that this is a man who knows God. He has a relationship with him. And yet he's saying, I don't want to do what you're asking me to. So I'm going to flee and go down to this other city in this other place away from your presence. Right? How many of you believe that disobedience leads to disconnection? And it's not because God disconnects himself from us. It's because we're attempting to disconnect ourselves from him. He did say, and he meant, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God doesn't walk away from us when we disobey him. He's not that kind of father. Praise the Lord, right? How many of you are glad that in the deepest, darkest seasons of your soul, that God did not walk away from you? He was right there with you, whether you could feel him or not. He was watching the whole thing. He knows the ugliness of all of it. And he was like, hey, when you want to knock that nonsense off, I'll be right here. So Jonah flees to Tarshish, which means refinery. I find this so funny and so hilarious and so scary. The Lord's like, okay, you want to run from me and my presence? You can run to the refinery. Anybody been to the refinery? Refiner's fire, that God is a consuming fire. Do you know if you didn't know, I'm going to tell you. The reason why we named the ministry Family of Fire was not because we like to talk in tongues and fall down on the ground and be labeled a charismatic people. Family of Fire has come out of a deep place 
of affliction and refinery and being in the fire with God season in and season out. Being tested and tried and sifted. Some wilderness by design, some wilderness by default of our own. And understanding that God has been with us in all of it the whole time. And he's saying, hey, honestly, whether you go there or you go here, I'm going to go with you no wherever you go. How many of you believe that you can't outrun God? You can't. Thank God that you can't. Even when you disobey him, he's still there with you. If you don't believe me, your Bible says that if you make your bed in hell, though I go down to Sheol, my Lord God is with me. David was a man who was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he disobeyed God. He was adulterous. He was a murderer, a deceiver, a liar, a manipulator. He was a schemer, dude. Go read David's life. This dude did some crazy stuff. But yet he finished with a heart after God because of one thing. It's called repentance. It's the essence of the gospel. It doesn't matter whether you come down to an altar and pray a prayer. Can I just say that to you this morning? That's, talk is cheap in this generation, man. Come down here and pray the prayer. We'll put your numbers in the bulletin and tell everybody 11 people got saved last Sunday. Right? Has your life changed? Is your life producing the fruit of Christ? That's what God is after. Verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish. Fam, it's all in the word. you got to pay attention to this stuff though. Jonah couldn't actually get to the place on foot he wanted to flee to. So he's like, hey, I need to go find a boat and pay for a ticket that's going to take me as far away from the word of the Lord as humanly possible. Come on, man. Dude, if some of us would just go all in and pay the price of obedience, it would actually be cheaper in some ways than the price we've paid for disobedience. Right, Liz? Not singling Liz out. She's new. We don't want to scare her. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. Who sent the wind? And again, just teaching good theology, right? That God absolutely is the author of tribulation and trial as much as He is goodness and glory. And all of these things are connected, not disconnected. That when you're a son or a daughter and you've been approved by the Lord and you have actual identity and relationship with Him, God will absolutely send and set you up with trials in order to get you back into a place of what He wants from you. Anybody ever experienced that? A time or two? Glory to God. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm in the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw up the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Isn't this wild? 
Jonah is living in full-blown disobedience, and he's asleep in the middle of the chaos. Meanwhile, his disobedience is causing turmoil to the whole world around him. In other words, whether we realize it or not, the choices that we make out of disobedience, whether we know that we're affecting, whether it's affecting us or not, it's affecting people around us and we don't even see it. We're asleep to it. The reality is that nobody sins inside of a vacuum. That my choices affect not only my own life, but my spouse, my kids, my friends, my coworkers, whatever my sphere of influence is. And sometimes we're asleep, man, to the reality of what's actually happening in our own lives. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. In other words, your sin is so extravagantly affecting us as unbelievers. We're coming to you as a believer and we're telling you to wake up. Fam, it's bad when the world is telling the church it's time to wake up. Because Jonah represents a type of Christ, right? The foreshadowing in the story, the gospel is in the book of Jonah. It's preached to us very clearly. He's going to get swallowed by a fish, by the way, whom God also sends. And he's going to be in the belly of the sea monster for three days and three nights, representing the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when Jesus says in Matthew 12 that no other sign other than the sign of Jonah shall be given to a wicked and perverse generation who continues to ask me for a sign, he's saying the sign that shall be given to you is the gospel. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. Repent and believe in that and you'll be delivered from yourself and you'll be given the grace to walk in my ways. Yes, the sign is the gospel. Fam, it's been so long in the church since we've really seen real salvations happen on such a consistent level. It's why we seek for other signs. You know, the salvation is a miracle when it actually happens. And it's not a hard thing to happen. But beloved, the reason why our generation is the way that it is in the church to so many degrees is because of the gospel that's been preached to them. The way that they came in is the way that they're now going out. So when you don't understand that you have to repent and believe and you're not being told about the crucified life and you're not being called and commanded by the Lord and by your brothers and sisters in God to continue to lay your life down, then you only have the option of being a selfish, self-preserved, self-serving consumer Christian. Right? The body of the Lord is sick, man, because people literally believe that the church exists to stroke their ego, to meet their needs, to help them feel better, to give them guidance, to give, 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 gimme, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. Fam, even Sunday mornings, can I, can I, I want to explain something to somebody in case you don't understand. I've been asked this question a bunch of times by people here and by people on the outside. Hey, man, why don't you go on social media? Why don't you put out a flyer? Why don't you let people in the community know what we're doing? Why don't you? Well, number one, because the Lord said not to, but because I'm not into drawing a crowd. 
We're not here to build numbers or build buildings. We're here to make disciples. The gathering of the saints is the gathering of the saints. It's not the gathering of the unbelievers that we tone everything down for to make them feel comfortable so much so that God is no longer comfortable dwelling among his own people. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not that skinny jeans and smoke machines and fancy big screens are all bad in and of themselves. It's that the motive of the reason why we've put up these million dollar cafe lattes in our local churches is because we're trying to make people comfortable with the idea of coming to a place where God may or may not be. Instead of just saying, repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. Come out of the world and come into the kingdom. Come out of the darkness and come into the light. Do you know that this generation is starving for truth and they actually just need people to tell them not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear? Do you know how many people, man, we've ministered to over the years who said, I wish somebody would have told me? I've been in church my whole life and now you're just telling me this is the truth? This is why I'm still addicted to pornography? This is why I can't stop going to the bar? This is why I'm complacent and full of... Why? Because you don't know the gospel. You haven't embraced the crucified life. You haven't actually done the Luke 14 counting the cost of following Jesus and saying, okay, that's what it is that I'm signing up or I'm not signing up. But man, we're not going to put out the fake signs and the fancy bounce houses and do the dance and sing the song to try to deceive people into coming into something that's actually not a real representation of who he is. Some of the most hard-hearted people I've ever met in my life. And I mean hard. When they actually heard the gospel, that was the beginning of the end. But so long as we continue to tell people that God is okay with our sin, that God winks at us in our disobedience. Dude, for the sake of time, how many of you got my message this morning about Jonah chapter 4 verse 2? Let's go right there. Then I'm going to land the plane. There's a lot of other stuff in between. But for the sake of time, I'm going to go right here because it's gonna, I'm gonna, the Lord's going to help us make it make sense. Pterodactyl's going crazy. Baby pterodactyl. She's just having a good time. All right, let's do Jonah 4 verse 1. So this is right after everything happens. Jonah finally disgruntledly obeys the Lord. He goes and does what God told him to do. Nineveh actually repents of her sin. Revival breaks out in the city. 120,000 people literally come to God in a matter of three or four days. It's a miraculous thing. And Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But this greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry like, dude, how self-righteous do you actually have to be to be upset at people responding to the gospel that you just preached? He said, and he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said? 
while I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to forestall this, he's literally saying, I was stalling your plan, God. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. So I chose not to do it. But here we are. Fam, this is, now I just keep in mind, okay? This is after Jonah has been thrown over the railing in the boat out in the middle of the ocean. He's been swallowed by the whale for three days. He's now been spit up. Fam, have, like, let's, like, it's not just a, be, a, a child's Sunday school story. Like, dude, if you get thrown over the edge of a boat in the middle of the ocean and it gets swallowed by a fish, outside of this story, you're dead. Yes, your life is over. And a lot of scholars, which I was going to get to, will say that they believe Jonah actually did die. Like, which I wouldn't have a problem believing because I don't know how a human would actually be able to live inside the belly of a whale. If you cut open a whale, it's not like there's, it's again, it's not a storybook. There's not some big hollow cave on the inside of the whale. Like, it's full of flubber and organs and it's all in there, dude. So how he made it or did it, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to speculate any further than to say whether the dude died or he was on the verge of death or I'm just sure he was inside the belly of the whale. And if he was alive, he's going, I'm going to die for sure. And the Lord let him be in there for three days. Right? He didn't come and just swallow him and then, you know, run him like a taxi back to dry land and spit him back out. He's like, hey. We're going to go through this for three days. Whether God took him down to Sheol or death or, or whether he was in the whale, I, I don't know. The scripture doesn't make that part of it clear. What we do know is that he went through this thing for three days, representing, again, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. He gets spit back up. I'm just going to fast forward. He gets spit back up on dry land. The same word of the Lord that came to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 comes to Jonah in Jonah chapter 3, and he tells him, go to Nineveh. And preach to the great city that which I've commanded you to tell them. So guess what? Jonah's circumstances changed, but the word of the Lord did not. Uh-oh. Again, God speaks. I disobey. I don't do it. I delay. Whatever. Now here we are. All right, God, what are you saying? I'm saying the same thing I told you a long time ago. <laughs> My word doesn't change because your circumstances do. In fact, my word is strong enough to withstand your circumstances. Come on. What if the truth is that God is not, you know, I'll just say it like this. Some of us are waiting on God to change, and he's not going to. God is waiting on you to change. He's waiting on me to change. Well, can I just tell you that you can't outweigh God? He's super patient. And because he's eternal and doesn't die, you'll be dead long before your will ever comes to pass. Hello? Some of you need to hear me say this this morning. Like, God wants your will. You're... Your usefulness to the Lord actually doesn't even begin until your will is fully submitted and surrendered. Time, talent, and treasure. We don't have a right to our own time. We do not have a right to our own talents. We do not have a right to our treasure. Why? Because if you belong to Jesus, it's not your time, it's His. 
It's not your treasure, it's his. It's not your talent, it's the gifts that he gave you. <laughs> Amen? And listen what he says. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, the refinery. He says, For I knew. Now the Greek word is yada, which means to know experientially and circumstantially. Jonah, this, this is the most mind-blowing part of the whole story of Jonah to me, and I can't say that I've ever heard it preached, but when the Lord made this clear to me, it was an aha moment to me that I thought to myself, mighty God, this is relevant to me and this is relevant to our generation. This is what Jonah says. He said, I, I stalled and I rebelled and I didn't do what you told me to do because... You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and you are one who relents concerning calamity. A.K.A. Abusing the grace of God is not something that started in this generation. It's something that's been happening for a very long time. Jonah is saying, I knew you to be a God who was loving, kind, slow to anger, abounding in love, and actually loves to show mercy. So I took advantage of your mercy. I spit in your face, rebelled against you because I was banking on the fact that you would just forgive me later. It's right there in the text. I'm not making it up. He's saying, I knew. I experientially and circumstantially have known you to be a God who long suffers with even the most hard-hearted. And I thought I would just continue to take advantage of this for just a little bit longer. Fam, can I tell you? And again, well, I mean, why would God let that happen? Why? Because God allows in His wisdom... What he can easily prevent with his power. God sees the life of all men beginning to end and end to the beginning. Again, he'll outweigh us. He's not worried about it. And can I tell you the scary thing, fam, for real, and it gives me the fear of the Lord in a healthy way, that if you don't do it, God will find someone else who will. It's not a threat. He gives us a lot of time. He gives us a lot of choices, but beloved, nothing and no one can stop the will of the Lord from being done. We're not so important that God, listen, you're not the center of the show. He is. Your life is not about you. It's about him. You exist not for your own glory, but for God's. This is a purpose that we have to keep center in our lives or else we will use the church as a place to self-medicate our own selfishness. Come on. The secret to being filled is being emptied. It's better to, come on, to give than to receive. Beloved, some of us are literally constipated internally. I felt like there was so much power on letting some of you just get up here and pray today. And not that it's about feelings, but don't you feel better? Don't you feel like, hey man, I've had this in me. I need to release this to the Lord. I need to participate. I'm not just coming to consume and to get. I'm coming to give my life away. 
So he takes advantage of God's character and nature. And after all this, verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is hilarious to me. Jonah is having a pity party. The dude has rebelled against God as a prophet of the Lord. He's told the Lord no. He's, his, his disobedience has caused literal calamity in other people's lives. He almost dies or he does die, then gets spit back up after three days in the belly of the beast. Then he finally begrudgingly goes and does what God does. And now 120,000 people get saved. The city has turned its heart back to the Lord because God was, and this is another thing for another time, but God was reminding Jonah and everyone else that God cares for not just Israel, but for all the nations, even the pagan ones. All the world belongs to Jesus. The gospel didn't just come to the Gentiles in the New Testament. It was brought to them before that. It's a foreshadowing, okay? And now here we are, and Jonah is literally having a pity party for himself. Just put me to death, God. Just kill me. I can't live anymore. Revival is happening. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's what the Lord does, too. It's just like, are you serious? And fam, how many, have you ever had a pity party for yourself? I remember the Lord told Jen one time years back. He said, self-pity. He said this to Jen, and she said it to me one night, so I'll give credit where credit is due to the Lord and to my wife. And this rocked me, dude. And I was having, I was actually in a moment in my life of self-pity, but I hadn't even told my wife. I was having it internally. <laughs> she were laying in the bed one night, and she said, you know, the Lord told me today that self-pity is the number one enemy of Christ's all-sufficiency. <laughs> Think about it. Self-pity is the number one enemy of Christ's or God's all-sufficiency. It's me saying, I feel sorry for myself. And I need God to take pity on me and help me. And God is saying, I am enough. I have always been enough. In fact, I am more than enough. But your self-pity is keeping me from being that enough for you. He's either all-sufficient or he's not. Which goes back to the reality of the gospel that God does not save people because he feels sorry for them. God saves us because he loves us. Big difference. And the reason why we go into self-pity is it's our own attempt to manipulate everyone around us. He was actually, Jonah actually thought he could manipulate God. You ever tried that? I have. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. 
And then verses 6, 7, and 8, there's a phrase here. It says, the Lord God appointed. So the Lord God appointed a plant and grew it up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. I just love the language. Has God ever delivered you from your discomfort? Were you happy about it when he did? Yes or no? It says Jonah was extremely happy about it. God sent the plant to give comfort to Jonah, to rescue him from his own discomfort. And Jonah delighted in this. His mood changed. All of a sudden, like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum, he gets picked up off the ground, and now the little kid gets what he wants, and now he's happy about it. But here's the deal. God was setting Jonah up. <laughs> because the same God who set up a plant to deliver him from his discomfort and make him extremely happy, then in verse 7, the very next verse says, but God appoints... So the same God who appointed the plant then appoints a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. <laughs> he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed. Can you say God appointed? He appointed the plant. He appointed the worm to eat the same plant because God gives and takes away. And then God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die saying, death to me is better than life. Again, so it's hilarious. But these are the human emotions. Right? He loves me. He loves me not. Jonah is happy when he gets what he wants, and he's unhappy when he doesn't get what he wants. Beloved, the difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is temporal and joy is eternal. And God actually wants to deliver us from being given over to that which makes me happy so that I can actually learn how to live in abundant joy. It's not happiness that gives me strength. It's the joy of the Lord that gives me strength. It's more than a feeling. Do you know that joy, happiness is connected to a feeling. Joy is connected to your mindset and the way that you live. Joy is a choice. How you doing? Then God said to Jonah again. He's confronting Jonah about his self-pity. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, now again, just more human emotion. Jonah says, yeah, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. Like he just continues on. He persists in the self-pity. Then the Lord said, and I love that this is the way the book ends. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work. And which you did not cause to grow which came up overnight and perished overnight. He's telling Jonah, I am the Lord God who gives, and I am the Lord God who took it away. I am the Lord God who sent the storm to overthrow you, and I am the Lord God who sent the whale to save you. Right? Like, God's got to be equally the God that speaks peace to the storm in the same way that he's the one who sometimes gives the storm. And what we've done, and I'm going to close with this in the church, fam, is that we have caused confusion 
and the hearts of God's people because in our immaturity, Scarlett, this is for you, sis, because I know you've wrestled with this in your religious upbringing. We have made the people of God polarize the character and nature of God. We've made them choose between the truths about who He is and make Him pick to either be this or to that. When in reality, He is both the lion and the lamb. He is grace and truth. Right? He's the disciplinarian and the comforter. He's the father and the mother. He's the nurturer and he's, he's the comforter and the discomforter. And we have to be settled in the reality of both in order to actually walk in healing and wholeness. The reason why some of us have become distressed and discouraged is because God begins to move a certain way and we don't recognize that it's Him. And so we shut down and become angry or frustrated or disappointed because it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to or the way that we thought it should. And God is saying, hold on, it's actually me. We need to stop giving the devil way more than what he's due. And I want to make it clear, and we've talked, there are a lot of people in this room, myself included, that have had to walk through traumatic things. People have died. People have suffered. People have, I'm not saying that, you know, every single thing in your life that happens to you that's bad comes from God. There's evil in the world. Right? Sin is a real thing. But what helps us decide that is intimacy with God. Right? And can I just say that the gospel of the kingdom, and I'm not going to say the word reduced, but if I had to simplify, what is the gospel of the kingdom? It is these two things. It is the call to intimacy and the invitation to family. It's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this right here, vertical, which was restored on the cross of Christ. Jesus died to restore the breach between God and man. Yes? He also was stretched east to west to restore the breach between man and man. He healed the breach between that we, has been open to us through intimacy with God and now the intimacy that we have with each other. And you cannot actually have one effectually without the other. I love you enough to tell you this morning. God loves you enough to remind you this morning that God doesn't feel sorry for you. He didn't die for you because he's taken pity on you. He died for you because he loves you. He lives for you now because he loves you. Your life matters to God. You were bought with a price. Can we be a people in this season who learn how to give the Son of God what He's due? Verse 11, and then we're done. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? One of the things that brought us to Orange Beach was God saying to us and to others that this place was like Nineveh in many ways. Now, there's not 120,000 people here. There's a lot less. 
maybe that many in this whole coastal area. And I'm not going to make it about me by any means because it's not. But man, I've been Jonah more times than I can count. And I'm telling you out of my own experience this morning that it's not worth it to run from the word of the Lord. It will find you. <laughs> How far will the word of God go to find you? To the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale. You guys heard us say that phrase before, you can bow now or you can bow later. But you will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every heart, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is an eternal reality that nobody can get away from. I would rather participate willingly now than be made to do it later. I want my heart to be connected to my obedience. Come on. If my heart can be disconnected in disobedience, it can be connected in obedience. Amen? All right, let's pray. <coughs> Man, Jesus, we love you. Lord, thank you for your love for us, for your church, Lord, for your people. Lord, we thank you for just even the body of Christ, God, all over the earth, Lord, this morning. And Lord, we're asking as your people who belong to you that you would give us the grace and the courage to embrace and obey the will of the Lord in our lives. God, I pray, Lord, over every heart and mind this morning, God, where confusion feels like it keeps coming, God, I prophesy clarity in Jesus' name. Lord, that where people are lacking in discernment, Lord, that you would give discernment and clarity. God, I pray, Lord, that you would make known that which is unknown and in the places where it remains unknown, God, I pray that you would give us the grace to bow down and trust you in every way. God, would you help us, every one of us, not to be like Jonah. Lord, would you help us not to run to the Tarshish of our life, God, when you're calling us to Nineveh. Father, I thank you for a people, God, who have heard and are hearing your voice, God, to come to the beach and to obey the word of God, Lord, and to do all that you've called and commanded us to do, God, according to the glory of your Son. Lord, help us this morning not to be a people who are given over to the wisdom of man. But God, help us to be a people who are given over to your wisdom, God. Lord, give us discernment in this season. Lord, that November would be that month of navigation that you said it would be. And that you would help us to navigate the uncharted waters of our lives. I feel like the wor a word from the Lord to our house is that November is a month of navigation. And I, the Lord has shown me this picture, not just of ships, but all of us actually on one ship, trying to navigate together what is unfamiliar and uncharted waters. And I feel like even the Lord is saying, in the same way that a large ship requires a crew, somebody's got to put up the sail. Somebody's got to batten down the hatches. Somebody's got to swab the deck. Somebody's got to... Uh, you know, move the, uh, the steering column. Somebody's got to help with the rudder. People have to, somebody's got to cook and clean. And I feel like even the Lord is just saying, I've put you together on a journey in this time, for this season, for this purpose. And you must learn how not just to tolerate one another, but you must learn how to be together. 
Don't be deceived into thinking that just because you're living in community that you understand family. Father, would you help that reality come to pass in our hearts? Lord, would you show us the places, Lord, where selfishness and self-preservation are keeping us, God, from going all in? Lord, in the same way, God, that you have come to comfort us in our discomfort, God, would you also discomfort us in our comfort? Lord, you know who needs what, and you are that big and that good because you are God. And Father, we worship you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name.